In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 29. Turning from now the detailed description of the vestments from the last chapter, God is revealing to Moses his will for how Aaron and the priest will be consecrated and ordained for their vocation. God commands that every person and thing used in worship of him is to be set apart and made holy. And this section ends with a preview of what Aaron and the priest will actually do in their service. Good morning. Today is Tuesday, December 20th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is sponsored by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. I say it every show, but I really do want you to go learn more about their translating and publishing work over at lhfmissions.org. Well, to walk with us through Exodus 29 this morning and all the detail therein, all 46 verses, it's a long one today, I'm pleased to welcome regular guest, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Pastor Shank, good cold morning, at least for me, I'm sure it is for you too. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Yes, it is cold, uh, but it's always nice to be here and probably not as cold as it is where, where you're at, but um, we have a lot to rejoice in. It's the, the season of Advent is about to, to come to a close and the joyful, joyful days of uh, celebrating the nativity are, are just about to be upon us. Yes. Um, yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, this, I cannot believe already this weekend is Christmas. Uh, Advent has flown by for me. I don't know about you. I guess it just depends on how busy you are. But Christmas Eve on Saturday and Christmas Day on Sunday is probably about the best arrangement you can get. What a wonderful timing to celebrate our Lord's birth. It is. Yeah, it it did go by quickly, and it always, it always does. But um, yeah, and then this year... With the the added that it's falling it on a on a Saturday Sunday, uh, made the made the week seem uh, a little different, you know, and and in, uh, in preparation because it started a little a little earlier as and uh, yeah, so it, it kind of felt felt a little off all all the all of Advent, but uh, it's all it's all coming together as we we're ready to celebrate uh, Jesus' birth. Oh yeah, it sure is. Well, i tell you what, brother, uh, normally this is the part where I would ask you all about how things are going, but, you know, we have 46 verses today, so we might have to save yes. that for next time. There's a lot to get through, but this is an important chapter. We we get how God is setting apart or making holy his priests, and there, yes, there's a lot of detail, but these detail give us insight into, you know, God's will, and I, I just think that's exciting, and we're going to dig into that. But let's start off with from with some prayer, and if you would lead us in that, I'd appreciate that. Yes, let, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we have been led through the days of Advent, be with us and, and consecrate us, uh, cleanse us by your, your Son's atoning blood, so that we may be your chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of your Son who called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So on this day, we pray for those who are in the darkness of sickness, disease, who are hospitalized, who are undergoing treatment. Grant them the fullness of your peace, your healing, all according to your good and gracious will. 
Yes, O Lord, we once were not a people, but now we have become your people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received the very mercy of your Son, who was born for us in order to save us. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, today really is a continuation of yesterday in a way, because yesterday we covered the actual vestments, I guess, so to speak, that the that the high priest Aaron and his sons, the priests, would be wearing. Today, God reveals, and we're all still up on the mountain, don't forget, folks, God reveals how he wants them to be consecrated. And I don't think this consecration takes place, actually, until, well, at least it isn't related to us until Leviticus uh, 8. But still, we have the details here. Is there anything you want to lay the foundation for so that people maybe can catch up for what's going to happen today? Yeah, you you are correct. It is uh, Leviticus 8 that records the actual events. So if if uh, after going through this study, or the listeners want to look at Leviticus 8 or even Leviticus 3 or all, all of Leviticus, you'll see uh, many of the things described beforehand uh, to, to Moses and then enacted later on. Um, but yeah, the people here, it, it seems um, very much set apart for, for Moses, Aaron, and Aaron's sons. But there it makes it very clear that the congregation um, will be brought in to see some of the activities. Um, they're brought in to know that um, Aaron and his sons are being consecrated or being ordained into the priesthood. Um, and and these, uh, these days last, seven days. This isn't all just happening real quickly. There is a uh, solemnity uh, to these actions so that the people would know and that Aaron and his sons would know um, what God is doing to them, for them, and then through them for all of God's people. Absolutely. And, and it is. I, I'm glad you brought it out. This is not just something it's like, well, we're going to we're going to get this done in an hour and then we'll have some buns down in the basement. <laughs> this is a week long thing that they must you know, I was going to pause on the word endure, but I think that's part of it. Endure. These people, as as we too, have to think very, uh, very pointedly about what it means to be set apart for God. And so the length of this process, in addition to all the things that they must obey, really reminds them, if nothing else, that God is in charge and that things will be done his way, not their way, especially as we Think about what will happen later with the uh, with the golden calf. Yeah, they're going to be brought into like a whole rhythm of fellowship with God, and in this rhythm of fellowship, it's it's not something that's just kind of picked up and set aside. It it is a it's a daily thing, and and not just daily like once, but a continual reality in which we are blessed. We're the greatest gift of all. We are in fellowship with God. God has come and established a fellowship with us, and now we get to live in it. And these um, priests, um, the high priests, they were to um, to be models, and, and not just models, but enactors, agents um, that God would work through to establish that fellowship, not only with them, but with all the people. Well, let us move forward, and we're going to read some of the texts that we have appointed for today. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's such a long text, we're obviously going to break it up, 
Um, any particular way you want to break it up or, you know, just sort of dealer's choice here? <laughs> yeah, just go for it. If you want to do it by pair, whatever, uh, we can we can handle it as it comes. That sounds good. We are going to do that. Um, let me see here. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 29. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them and the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. I guess that's a good place to stop. It's the end of the paragraph, at least according to the editors here, the ESV. But it is a good place to stop because we end with this statement, thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. This is an ordination not quite like what we're used to, is it, brother? No, that we didn't quite do this at uh, at my ordination and and uh, and yet there are elements of, of this done at an ordination um, because because the the sacrifices um, the, you know the the bulls and, uh, the bull and the rams without blemish um, the the bread that is offered the the oil all of these things are pointing uh, to none other than to Christ. He is the once for all sacrifice, and and really Aaron and his sons are also pointing us to Christ, as we see in uh, the book of Hebrews, chapters uh, four and five and following, um, that that Jesus is the high priest, even greater uh, than the Levitical high priest. He is uh, a priest um, after Melchizedek, and um, and, and so. As we reflect uh, as pastors on our own ordination, we were brought into Christ or Christ was placed on us. And um, uh, we have a we have an ordination in, in that sense that the spirit of the Lord is placed on us for a special calling uh, to bring forth um, the atoning work of Jesus onto and for his people. Here, Aaron and his sons uh, are blood that atones for their sins. And then the, the blood that brings them into the ordination is is going to be literally put um, on the offering on the uh, altar. I'm going to put uh, uh, on them on their uh, on their clothing, um, and and all of this points to the work, the work that they are to do, and to the one in whom is to come. That's extremely important for folks to remember that when we see all the things that God is setting place, it is pointing forward to his eternal plans. It's pointing forward to Jesus. God is a God of order. Now, we see here giving some hints, too, to the sacrificial system, which um, isn't put in place yet. It's just sort of a hint of it. They're still at Sinai. 
Um, but we we see all these things like the unleavened bread, unleavened cakes, unleavened wafers. Certainly there's some significance in that unleavenedness uh, connecting back to Passover, connecting forward to the idea that even Jesus brings forth about you know the leaven being the sin of the Pharisees. Uh, lots of things that we could pull out. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking of with the unleavened bread, right? With with the Passover and the false teaching, and there is not to be any falseness in them. And um, when we get to the point where uh, the the blood is put on them in a in a special way, it seems very odd. But um, these things also point to that fact too. Um, who is it they are to be listening to and and what is it they are to be doing? So yeah, the unleavened uh, bread, which will be used um, as a, a wave offering, a, a fellowship that that the one in whom they are in fellowship with um, turns and and waves back uh, the 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 gifts that were given to him and are and are received back by Aaron and. Um, received as as a blessing for his body and life. Um, so yeah, there there's a lot of connections, and, and even then the oil that is used here, and it's a, an anoint, it's it's smeared, it's it's put on uh, the the cakes, um, and yet um, Aaron too will be anointed with oil. His sons will be anointed with oil, um, and and this christening of them in that way um, that they're. That is the the means by which they are being put into the office. Uh, Christ, uh, our God, is is calling them into this office and, and is 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 making sure, just like they would anoint um, uh, Solomon when when Solomon was was made king. Here, the the high priest is is made uh, into his office and and uh, and anointed too. Let's bring another paragraph into the discussion. Verses 10 through 14, he mentioned a bull earlier, and now this is what we're going to do with the bull, God says. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before Yahweh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all of the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Wow. So first of all, uh, you know, my altar guild ladies get a little perturbed if I spill some wine. I couldn't imagine <laughs> if I was up there throwing blood of bulls all over the horns of our altar. Uh, but obviously we have God's instructions here. They're very graphic, uh, bloody, uh, visceral, and he's, we're told it's a sin offering. These things happen with Aaron and the priests with their hands on them. Tell us about that. What is going on here? This is very strange. Yeah, and this is also something that's taken up in the book of Hebrews, right? The distinction between Jesus as high priest and all other high priests, that the high priests have to are, are called into an office in which they make, um, are, are lifting up the sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of the people, on the sins of the people, for the people. And yet, before they can do that, <laughs> they themselves have sins that need to be atoned for. 
they, they are not sinless. Jesus is the only one who is a high priest who is sinless in his office as high priest, who comes not only to make sacrifice for us, but is that sacrifice and by that blood who he takes into the, the holy place, into the tabernacle, in the very presence of God, his heavenly father. Um, and, and so these things are, are mirrors of that heavenly reality before God. Um, so yes, they, they have to, they place their hands on the bull and, and by that uh, God accepts, he accepts their sins are placed on this animal and he, uh, this, this bull is killed in their stead um, as an, as an atoning sacrifice, as a, as a substitute for, for their own life. And that blood with its life in it, it is accepted by God for their life. In your studies and experience, have you ever been able to make any connections about, you know, why like some of these fatted parts or the entrails, the, the different things, like why does God have uh, different uh, parts being used in different ways? It seems so arbitrary to us thousands of years removed. And I only ask because in my own studies, I came across an interesting point about the lobe of the liver. And what was fascinating that I read, and again, you know, people are basing this on information that they get through their own study, so, you know, it's not inspired, but that in the Near East, in the ancient times, that the liver was used for divination. And hundreds of clay models of animal livers with magic spells and omens inscribed in them have apparently been found in Mesopotamia. So perhaps something like this, this burning of the liver it's like this defiant act against the, the the heathens and their pagan practices. Now, how how tr accurate or true that is, I don't know. But I think it's interesting to make these connections if we were able to, because otherwise it just seems like a, a list of arbitrary things that God wants you to do. Surely, even if we don't know what they are, he has some specific purposes for these. Yeah, I, like you said, I, I do not fully... Uh fully have the counsel of God why these parts compared to other parts, but it definitely, um, it doesn't seem that way to my appetite. Um, but for <laughs> some, for some reason there, these are, uh, it seems to be the best, uh, the, 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 the fattened parts, uh, the, the liver that these things are given to the Lord, uh, as the greatest sacrifice, uh, to him as the parts, as the fattened parts um, that would be um, the most pleasing to the Lord. And he has called it to himself um, that, and, and it does speak um, to a sense of that, that, that the things that God has called us to do um, though, maybe not always, maybe we don't always fully understand them in the moment. And yet we are called to, to trust, <laughs> to trust in, in him, that all this works together for our salvation, and 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 again for um, for the activity and what is being done to this bull, and how he is taken outside of the camp and burned as a sin offering, does again point us to Jesus, who who died outside the gates, outside the camp of Jerusalem, who was crucified there, and uh, and to put to, to death. Um, and laid in a tomb. So um, even this, in which we're kind of pondering about why the liver or the kidneys or the fattened parts uh, are burned and, and other things 
are are done somewhere else. Um, even this speaks of the sacrifice of Jesus. Very true. You talked about about our appetite. You know, the fatted parts throughout the scriptures and in many cultures are seen as the as the best parts, as you pointed out, which is important to note. Um, and certainly, we think that too. You know, that's if you get a good steak, it's the fatty parts that bring the flavor. Uh, so, also, they're high in calories, which is a good thing if you are wandering through the desert. So, you're really taking your best. If you're so, I watch these shows where people are trying to, you know, survive out in the wilderness, and what they often need are dense caloric intake, and usually that comes from the fat of animals or even the fat uh, of oils and other things. And so, yeah, you're they're taking these this the thing that they would presume that they would need the most to survive and offering them to the Lord. Certainly there's a connection there too. They haven't gone through the anti-fat phase of the 1980s as our country has. <laughs> so they're not as uh, you know worried about that. But, but yeah, yeah I, I like that connection. Of course, pointing to Jesus always, always makes sense. Uh, let's add just a few more verses. Sure. 15 through 18. Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram and take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to Yahweh. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. So we have a sin offering in the last section, and now we have a burnt offering or food offering. So yeah, we're starting to get these different types of offerings, these offerings by fire, uh, but they haven't necessarily been fleshed out in what they are just yet. It's one of those things where God certainly knows what's coming down the pike, but Moses doesn't. He's just taking the instructions. Yeah, and and with these, they're, they're, they remain still laying their hands uh, on the head of the ram, so there is still atonement or re substitutionary re replacement there. I mean, it definitely makes me think of of Isaac, right? The sacrifice of Isaac, the, the ram that was this caught, and and the one in whom should have been uh, sacrificed uh, is substituted out, is replaced out, or makes you think of the Passover where the the ram uh, is is taken. The the lamb without spot or blemish is taken, and the blood is uh, put on the doorpost and on the lentils, and then and then it's eaten. But the but then at the end of the night, everything is burnt up. So uh, this one who is is taken in it and fallen intact, um, offered up as a burnt offering, and and it's full, it's complete. I mean that that also reminds us of of the sacrifice of Christ, where. You know, nothing was was left. He was taken full and complete to the cross. He was, he was um, there um, without um, a broken a brokenness. You know, not not the sense of a, a broken bone uh, in him, but he was offered up as that full um, substitutionary ram. Uh, there was no one left to substitute out for him. His his heavenly Father doesn't make a substitute. He doesn't trade for his son, but his son is the substitute. He is the one who is, is put under the fiery wrath and, and consumed by it. There he faces hell itself for us. The wrath of God is it poured out on Jesus, full and complete, um, and he's consumed in it. One of the uh, language 
uh, things that stand out to me is the phrase, it is a pleasing aroma, you know, then a food offering to the Lord or an offering by fire to the Lord. This visual image of the offering not just being burnt up on the altar, but being just sort of mixed with smoke and it, it ascends to the heavens and it's this really cathartic uh, visible thing where we see what we're doing is symbolically ascending to the Lord. And I think when we, we, we changed our worship from being sort of out in the desert to in a temple, then into synagogue worship and now into congregations, which are, you know, air conditioned and heated for the most part and uh, electric lights. And we're all sort of removed from nature and God's creation. I think we've lost connection to God as the creator in this very tangible way. Uh, we, we certainly, in many cases, will use incense, which gives that same image of our prayers ascending to God. But we've kind of sterilized worship. You know, I mentioned earlier about the sort of maybe drop of wine on the altar. We've sterilized the worship of God. Not that we should be still doing sacrifices after Christ's arrival, of course. But I, I sometimes wonder if if we've segregated ourselves from God's creation a little too much. I don't know where I'm going with that, but I'm just thinking about this pleasing aroma and how besides incense, which is rarely used in many Lutheran churches in America, uh, we don't really have that connection. What do you think? Yeah, there is a sense where our worship is supposed to be all of our senses, right? Um, we have some, you know, some sight <laughs> with pyramids and, and things and altar and the lifting up. And we have some motion and movements. We, we definitely have hearing of hearing the word and hearing of the singing and participation. But yeah, the smells and... Um, that, yeah, that is a sensory reality of our worship that sadly is a bit a bit lost where we should be, you know, smelling uh, pleasing aromas, too. But, I, you know, I think there is a, um, uh, a, a juxtaposition here because think about it from the people's perspective. I don't know how I don't know how pleasing it would have smelt, you know, right. the burning of flesh. The, the smell of death, uh, we have entrails and, and the dung, right? That, that's not, that probably isn't smell so good. And yet these things are received as pleasing to the Lord. I think there is something to be preached there, right? You know, that yes, our, our sins are many, but when they are offered, when our lives, yes, our lives are covered in sin, but when our lives are offered up as a, a thank offering, uh, an offering to the Lord, he receives it as a pleasing aroma. And we might think, well, how can my life be a pleasing aroma to the Lord? But it's been covered in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, that's certainly a thought that we can ponder right now as we take our break. But when we come back, folks, don't go anywhere. Pastor Shank and I will keep going with Exodus chapter 29. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. 
but they need our help because Good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, folks, to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Before we jump right back into our text, as always, I want to remind you that questions and comments about today's show or any show can be directed right to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook if you want to Google me there. Uh, I'm happy to answer any of your questions on or off the air. Now, Pastor Shank, before the break, we were talking about these different uh, well, pleasing aromas, and, and I'm, I'm thinking about what you said before the break, and it certainly preaches. There's there's a couple different things here. On the one hand, you you know you do have this <laughs> this almost uh, barbecue type effect. You know, you're burning all of these animals on on the grill, which is not entirely different than what we do. But then when you mix it with the fact that you're talking about hair and other things and hooves and things that we don't typically uh, will burn, those smells can be very unappealing. Uh, so when we use incense and, uh, and anointing oils and things like that in our worship practices, those are generally, we try to make them as pleasing as possible. It connects us to hopefully what is pleasing to God. But yeah, I was just thinking about it. Yeah, it wouldn't be pleasant to them, but necessary. And there's so many things about you know our life as Christians that we think, oh, everything's supposed to be easy and and, and God's with us, and he's just our, our friend and our buddy, and he's never going to let anything bad happen to us. But the reality is that the more faithful we are to God, the the harder it can be sometimes in life. And, and there are things that we have to do that we don't like to do, like admit our sins and repent of them, uh, talk to people about Jesus, even if we're nervous about it. Uh, there's lots of things that are perhaps unpleasant to our sinful sensibilities, but very pleasing to God. Yeah, some of those realities can can stink. Our, our sins do stink. It is a, a joy that when we gather into the church, that there in the church, we, we, we tend to take the heavenly perspective, right? Um, that, that we're gathered in um, uh, for that foretaste of the, of the feast of heaven. So yeah, that's why the the aroma should not need to to be bitter or anything because the bitterness of our sins has been washed away. And yeah, the pleasing aroma of our prayers we we get to we get to smell it from from God's perspective, our our heavenly Father's perspective, and these things are uh, pleasing to Him. In the next chapter, we have uh, some purification stuff going on. Let's hear this because it can also be some, a little bit confusing if you don't know exactly what's going on. It's going to be verses 19 through 21. Now you shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the great toes of their right feet, and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar, 
and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his sons' garments shall be holy. I mentioned purification because uh, in Leviticus, we have this uh, taking the blood and putting on the lobe of the right ear, talking about like leprosy or skin disease purification rites. In this case, it's not really in that context, but I'm sure the purification is still at mind. And then we have, of course, his garments being set apart as holy. It seems that God wants the people and the vestments and the things and the furnishings used in his worship to be set apart for this special use, right? No, no uh, uh, multi-purpose space here. You know, no kids running around the most holy place in between in between uh, worship services. You know, he seems to be setting these things apart for a very special purpose. He's uh, operating in a realm of holy ground, which I also think we've lost in some ways. You know, we everything's supposed to be you know, for multiple uses, but in this case, some things are set apart for only one use. Uh, what do you think about this text and what's going on? Yeah, because this this is a, a set-apart ram, right? This is distinct from the other because this is the ram of the ordination, as we'll see in the next couple of verses, which will come. And so then the action of that ram sets them apart. So this set-apart ram sets Aaron and his sons apart, uh, therefore, the the right ear and the right uh, thumb and the right toe, um, they all have significance. Uh, the ear, and it's all significance according to the the office for which they are to 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 live in and perform and and to to act upon. So their ear, they are to hear the word and his word only, and that's what they are to to judge and to confess. And and with their right hand. That is the the hand of blessing. So yes, the blood needs to be on that thumb. That not only do they bless, but they perform their duties with that that hand, and then also the right foot. Um, they are to walk the walk in the statutes, to walk in the commands, to walk in holiness um, in this office as a priest. So yeah, there is a a whole lot of what you said is um, setting apart, consecrating. Um, making holy uh, of of the ram and of of the one for whom now this blood of that ram makes them set apart that the high priesthood in the office. Let's add another paragraph because in this next section we get the idea of a wave offering, and uh, that also is something interesting. Uh, all right, this is going to be verse twenty. Uh, pardon me, verse 26 through 28. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before Yahweh, and it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram of ordination from what was Aaron's and his son's. It shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel, from their peace offerings, their contribution to Yahweh. Okay, wave offerings, peace offerings. Uh, explain this for us. <laughs> what? This is a little, uh, little hard for us to understand because we don't use this kind of language anymore. We, we don't, but then um, 
there's aspects here that do apply apply to us. So um, verses 23 and 24, they take the the cakes that were made and he, he takes these um, unleavened bread and he puts it into the hands, the palms of Aaron and the palms of his sons, and they wave them um, in this wave offering to the Lord. So they, you wave it to the Lord and then back. So it's like to the Lord, we're offering um, an offering of fellowship and then back from him to them. So um, so we're, we're going back and forth uh, to God and, and to his high priest. And, and it will also affect for the people. If he's in fellowship, he's in communion with the high priest. He is in communion uh, with the people. And that, that talk of fellowship um, is something that we, as, as Missouri Senate Lutherans, talk about all the time. And, and then that's going to play out in the meal for which they eat. And who shall eat of this meal and, and how should they eat of this meal um, is something that is, is true here for their ordination, but also is a, a, a reality that the people for Passover and the Passover meal is something that they live in. And, and then for us in our fellowship at the altar, now we have fellowship with God because God has first made fellowship with us through his son. Um, so it's by that bread <laughs> which is the very body of Christ for us as we're talking about altar table fellowship. It's by the body of Christ that has been um, offered to us, given to us, that we have now fellowship with him. And, and, it's, and it's in thanksgiving to the son that we have, we have fellowship with the father. So um, that, that sense of waving back and forth talks about a fellowship, a peace that God has established through his sacrificial system. And it definitely points forward to Jesus. So Leviticus 3 talks about this, the peace offering, the wave offering, um, and, and and how now it's being brought into the ordination rite for Aaron, for Aaron and his sons. Yes, and you, you went back a paragraph, one that I accidentally omitted. Thank you for doing that. I do want to add those verses real quick just so we don't lose anybody. Um, I forgot to include 22 through 25. Where it says, you shall take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination, and one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil, and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before Yahweh. You shall put all these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons and wave them for a wave offering before Yahweh. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering. As a pleasing aroma before Yahweh, it is a food offering to Yahweh. And then it goes into the section I did read, which is about taking the breast wave offering and the thigh, et cetera, et cetera. So, right, and we have these wave offerings, which is a, a technical term, a priestly term, for basically an offering that's lifted up to the Lord but not set on the altar. So we don't use that language, but we kind of do some of those motions even in our liturgical worship where we say lift up the consecrated body of Christ. Uh, it's not something we're offering to God, of course, but something we're, you know, showing the congregation that God is offering to us through his son. So these connections are easily made and should be made. When you're reading these things and you just don't get bogged down in all of the minute details, um, except to understand that sometimes these details are important insofar as they point forward to Christ. And, uh, and that's neat. And that's something that I'm glad you're bringing out for us. And there tends to be even 
as I agree, we, we don't have the the sacrifice of the mass, right? Jesus isn't sacrificed again, but that once for all sacrifice is always standing. Jesus is always right. standing before the Father, and 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 in that sense is is waved before Him continually. The one time work is always in the presence uh, of the Father, always before His eyes, and then it's turned. He turns. Jesus turns out to the congregation and is before your eyes and not just to be beheld, but to be received. He was received by the father as um, actually performing that work and is received by the congregation as uh, the work that is, is done completed and, and fulfills everything that the father has, has willed for him. And, and that, that brings us into that whole, um, the, the meat uh, that is, offered up way before the Lord is not burned, but is given to sustain, to, to feed Aaron and, and his son, which we'll, we'll get in the next section, which, which brings that whole fellowship reality into, into being. Well, why don't we get into the next section then um, and make sure I'm going to read the right part. Here we go. <laughs> Starting with verse 29 through 34. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him, and they shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place, shall wear them seven days. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration, but an outsider shall not eat of them, because they are holy. And if any of the flesh for the ordination or of the bread remain until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten, because it is holy. It's a good place to stop. So we have, again, you know, the left, leftovers of the Passover lamb were to be burned the next morning, and now we see that same practice here, but these things are set apart for a particular use. Yeah, so Aaron and his sons are, are living a life in which they're called to uh, fully trust, trust in the Lord, um, not, not to lean on their, their own understanding of how they're going to make ends meet or anything like that. But as the people are, are bringing the, the sacrifices, are offering up sacrifice to the Lord, they'll, they'll be sustained by, by what God has established. He has, he has shown so great mercy by, by, by receiving the, the sacrifice of, of these animals for their sins. But his mercy then extends even greater than that, if that can be even said, right? Um, that they too would be fed and nourished, would be kept um, by by the things offered to the Lord, that the Lord doesn't keep them all, but gives of what is his, what is rightfully his, he turns back and he gives it to them and they receive it. Um, but this is this meal, it's it's um it's distinct. It's it's not just a common meal. It's a sacred meal in which uh Aaron and and his sons will will eat of it, will receive it, uh, and no one else. Uh, this is not something that'll be passed around and, and given out to the to the people, but they themselves receive it. And as these days go on, because there are there's seven of them, as these days go on, each day whatever is left um, will not remain. It will be it will be burned up. It will be consumed, uh, just as you said, just with as with the Passover lamb. 
one thing that is associated with this and all the things going on here, you know, we see this again and it, and it lasts, you know, these things are, are practiced by the, by the Hebrews and the Jews as they, as we head into the first century. And I think of Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus brings up the very bread that we're talking about here, this very set apart sacrifice. And it says in chapter 12 that Jesus is going through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples are plucking the heads of the grain to eat. And the Pharisees take a problem with this, right? Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus uses an example of David where he went in and ate some of this set apart bread. Uh, Jesus says in verse three, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests. Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Elsewhere, he talks about how the Sabbath is made for man and man not for the Sabbath. So we have this idea that God is setting down these laws to point forward to something greater. And so even when the Pharisees are trying to throw all the laws that even God himself had put in place, and Jesus says, you know, basically I'm God, I can do what I want. But more than that, you know, these things aren't to be done just for the sake of doing them. It's like a tradition that you keep on doing, but no one knows why. That's not the case. These things are to be done to point forward to something greater. Of course, Christ. Yeah, and and the fact that they are eating this in the at the entrance of the tent of meeting, it shows us the reality of of what what is a gift which will be for all people. Right they're they're a, a symbol, a sign of the blessing which is for all people. Um, how the Lord has has prepared a table in the presence of my enemies and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have a meal for which is being offered up to everyone, not, not coming um, by their own works or by their own ways, but coming in the fellowship that our Lord has established um, through Jesus and him alone. And, and everyone who wants to come through Jesus is invited in and, and everyone who wants to hear and, and learn of their Savior and confess His name are, are called to the table to 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 receive the one in whom has washed them clean in their of their sins and holy baptism has taught them and instructed them of what this meal is and and, and then and then is fed and nourished on the way because it is too much the way is too much so yeah I, I think even of the text that you're you're speaking of speaks ahead it points ahead um, that this meal isn't going to be so selective that it's only for a small few, but it is for all God's people, um, but it's foreshadowed here. Just finishing up this section, verses 35 through 37. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days you shall ordain them, and every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Now, uh, that 
ends this particular section that we've been covering. It takes a little bit of shift in the following verses. But just to wrap things up, we see here how, yes, seven days this ordination and sanctification and consecration and purification is going on. I guess what stands out to me is this very last sentence. Uh, Anyone or whatever, rather, touches the altar shall become holy. It seems like in the same way that wickedness and defilement are contagious, holiness is contagious too, (laughs) right? You know, what what is what's going on there? Yeah, it uh, th- there is one that uh, absorbs, that takes in all the sin and uh, and and makes clean all all that all that touch it or touch him, right? So you know when Jesus, who who is um, who is the the tent of meeting, who is the um, who is the, the the temple himself, he is the uh, the tabernacle who is the altar in which he himself is being offered up. You know, when people are coming with diseases and they reach out just to, to touch him, they are, they're cleansed. And when we reach out to touch Jesus, you know, um, by faith, holding on to him, holding on to his promises, you are cleansed. You, you are made clean. You are, you are made holy um, because Jesus um, has touched you has touched you. Um, there is a back and forth to that, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, us seeing this and, and seeing our Lord and his redeeming work, his saving work, his cleansing work, his sanctifying work. And then the reality of the seven that, um, that in their ordination, that, that, that like you said, this isn't just a an hour service or maybe an ordination. Uh, it might be two hours. It's a long time, two hours or something like that. Well, this is seven days, and and Leviticus makes it clear that the congregation is being called in um, for these seven days too. That they need to continually come back for participation as as observers, even on the outside of the tent, observers that something's going on for their benefit. Right, that these uh, men are being washed outside, being brought in, being clothed, being uh, done again and again and again um, for seven days, which, which shows us that that God is active here. We we see Moses is going to be active, have an active hand, but but God is behind it all. He is the one preparing his his men for his service, uh, and and the whole congregation is blessed by seeing what God is doing here. Um, that all is full, all is complete, all is fulfilled for their ordination on the seventh day. Well, moving then to the rest of our chapter, which is 38 through 46, we get a little bit of insight into what the priests are going to be doing every day. These are not the proverbial working half a day on Sunday, folks. They're doing (laughs) two burnt offerings a day at the very least. So we're going to hear about that now, starting with verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old, day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil, and a fourth of a hin of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer it with a grain offering, and its drink offering, and in the morning for a pleasing aroma of food offering to Yahweh. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. 
I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am Yahweh their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh their God. Fascinating. God wants them to do all these things, ultimately, because he wants them to know that he's with them, that he dwells among them. Yeah. And isn't that we, – we that's really tying us into – to the nativity that God is our Emmanuel. He is God with us, but there's something more to, to fully understand with that term. You know, I think there is a lot of people um, that will be quite terrified if, if they saw the presence of God with them, because he's the God that they had ignored, forgotten, maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, uh, have given a little bit of their time an hour because, you know, grandma, wants us to go to church before we open presents or have the meal or or something like that. But if if God would reveal himself to them at that moment, I think they would be terrified to know that God is with them as he is. He's always with us. But the greater gift is not knowing that just simply God is with us, but that God is for us. And we hear that in this section too, that that by this he will he will speak to them. And what does he speak to them but words that encourage, uplift, and and forgive, that, that speak of his promise that he is a God who brought them out of slavery. He is a God who, who redeems. He is a God who has reconciled them to himself. He is a God who has cleansed them and forgives them. And, and this is what God is doing by that morning sacrifice, by the evening sacrifice. Um, we have we have a lot to, to discuss. We have a lot to fully digest with these words because, yes, it is true. We don't we don't make morning sacrifices and evening sacrifices anymore in that sense to atone for our sins. But it does speak to our our lives and how in the morning we offer up prayers to the Lord, and in the evening we we close our eyes in prayer, and and in that we consecrate the whole day. We set aside the day that this day belongs to the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, be glad in it. This is his doing. We are his doing. We we belong to him. We are his. There is a, a wonderful hymn that speaks of this. With the Lord begin the task. Uh, just a verse, one verse. With the Lord begin your task. Jesus will direct it. For his aid and counsel ask, Jesus will perfect it. Every morn would Jesus rise, and when the day is ended, in his name then close your eyes, be to him commended. Yes, each and every day we commend ourselves to the Lord, for we belong to him, not in fear, not in fright, um, but trusting in his salvation. Yes, he comes near, he draws with us, he is with us, for he is our Emmanuel, our Jesus, and he saves us with his presence. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you and to you at home. Folks, thank you for joining us. Come back tomorrow where we will turn to more furnishings of the tabernacle, the altar of incense, the bronze basin, the oil and the incense. Oh, and don't forget the taxes. All of that tomorrow, same time, same place.
Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.